Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. I want to say welcome to you, Bible Center family. Thank you for joining us here in person. Thank you for joining us on TV. And thanks again for joining us online. It's so good uh, to be worshiping with you in this new year. Happy New Year to you. We have a lot to cover today. So let me invite you to go ahead and open your Bible or your Bible app to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 uh, verses 1 through 18 is where we're going to dig in here in just a moment. I can think of no better way to begin the new year than by declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. If you think about the good news, it actually starts all the way back at the beginning of our story. Not the beginning of God's story, but the beginning of our story. Uh, We find that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as I was reading the book of Genesis this week, getting ready to preach this message and in my own private time, this thought just struck me is that where did everything come from? Now we know that God created, we who believe the Bible, but even if you have a different viewpoint than me or a different viewpoint than Christianity and you're wondering, well, I'm really not sure if God created everything. My question to you is, well, then where did the original matter come from? Somewhere at the beginning of time, all of us have to have faith in some sort of beginning. And so I would encourage you to believe the Bible's narrative, the true, what we believe to be the true biblical narrative, that in the beginning, God created everything. But unfortunately, sin broke everything. The first man and woman, Adam and Eve, we find in the Garden of Eden, God had given them very clear commands, very clear instructions, but they did what you and I have done so many times in our lives, is they disobeyed the clear instructions of God. And so because of that, sin has broken everything. It's broken me, it's broken you, it's broken our universe, our world. Maybe you're wondering, you say, well, Matt, if sin has broken everything, why is it that some people seem to be so good? Even people who aren't necessarily religious. Why do non-religious people, why are there atheists at times who do good works? Well, there's two answers to that. The first answer to that is simply because all of us are made in the image of God. None of us are as evil as we could be. Thankfully, we have all of these safeguards in place, the presence of the Holy Spirit here in our world. Uh, We have the church. And even God's fingerprint on humankind causes us to do good. The Bible calls that natural affection. That's what causes a mother to love her children. That's what causes a father to want to protect his family. Those things are natural. God has written it on our hearts. But the truth of the matter is, God says even our best works, apart from Jesus Christ, are like filthy rags. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, even our best actions still have the residue of sin on them. Think about some of the best things you've ever done in your life. 
even our best works at times, we have to fight wrong motives and wrong desires. I like to liken it to two terrorists about to bomb a hospital. If you think about one terrorist looking at the other terrorist and sharing his lunch because he doesn't want his buddy to go hungry right before they bomb the hospital. In many ways, that's the Bible's perspective of humankind. We are utterly broken even in our good works. But thankfully, Jesus saves. I'd love to start the new year by declaring Jesus saves. The Bible teaches us that the gospel is the good news that the living God who, who demanded, who required perfection of all humankind sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live a sinless life to suffer and die on the cross as the substitute for our sin, absorbing the judgment that we rightfully deserve. That he not only died, but he rose again. He ascended back into heaven and he offers forgiveness and righteousness and his spirit and eternal life. He offers salvation at the moment anyone repents and believes. Now salvation is one of those religious words. That if you've not grown up in church or aren't familiar with church, maybe you're wondering exactly what is salvation. Well, the way we define it, the way we see it in God's word, and the way we define it in our member's statement of faith is simply this. Salvation is a divine and unmerited gift based entirely on the unconditional love and grace of God. So it's a divine gift. It's something that God has to give. It's unmerited Nowhere in the Bible can you ever earn your way to heaven. It's impossible. Ephesians chapter 2 says that all, none of us have done righteous. None of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our best works can't earn the grace of God. No baptism, no church membership, no loving your neighbor, nothing can earn the love and favor of God. Grace is unmerited. It's a gift based entirely on the unconditional love and grace of God. This is why John 3.16 is such a beautiful verse that we've, many of us have memorized since we were little children. For God so loved the world. That's salvation. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're watching this today and you've never yet put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, let me invite you to turn to Jesus, to turn away from everything you've been trusting and to turn to Jesus, to trust Jesus and to take his salvation. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we want on the, one of these very first messages of the new year to invite you to God's salvation. But the rest of today's message is for believers. As so many of my messages are, it's primarily to the church. God has called me to feed the flock, the congregation that he has given me. And so the rest of the message will be for the church. But I want us as the church to look at the salvation God has given us. As Christians, we benefit greatly from our salvation. 
as Christians, we benefit greatly from our salvation. Think about all the benefits you have received by putting your faith in Christ. Through our faith in the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection, our sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. We've received mercy and grace and eternal life and the promise of future resurrection. At the cross, Jesus took all of the condemnation of our sins on himself so we will never face condemnation in this life or the life to come. One other benefit of salvation is that Jesus has conquered our satanic enemy. Jesus has conquered Satan himself. And I'm sure you could think of many benefits of your salvation, just like I can think of mine. But Christian, if someone were going to ask you, what is the greatest benefit of your salvation? What is the biggest benefit of your salvation? How would you answer that? This isn't something that many of us think a lot about. We have many other cares of this world to, to think through. But, but if we were going to think about it for a minute, what would be the biggest benefit of our salvation? In the New Testament, there is one benefit emphasized above all else. And I'm convinced that when we grasp this benefit, it will change our motivations in the new year. It will change our desires in the new year. I believe that this benefit is actually one of the foundations of all other resolutions that we may have for 2021. Today's message is entitled, The Biggest Benefit of Salvation. I want to encourage you to feel free to check out the notes in the app as we go along. Uh, we're putting more and more notes there for you. I think actually today there's like three pages of notes. And so if you're the kind that likes to follow along and have all the references and see, feel free to follow along. Again, weekly, our desire is to put more and more uh, notes there for you. But in summary, today's message is quite simple. It's quite simple. It's really just two parts. The message is like this. There's something that I want you to know, and then there's something that I want you to do. There's something I want you to know. And then there's something that I want you to do. So let's jump into our text and see what God wants us to know and what God wants us to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He's talking about what we were before we put our faith in Christ. No matter how old we were, no matter how public our sins were, this was us before we put our faith in Christ. We had the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, not some of us, but all of us, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You say, but man, I didn't feel like I was deserving of wrath. Well, neither did I, but we were. We were equally deserving of wrath. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. The moment we put our faith in Christ, something divine happened. The Spirit of God woke us up, gave us new life. We were made alive with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him. So there again, with Christ, with Him, in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, God, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Last night on Facebook, one of our moms, one of our young moms sent me a a message and she said, my seven-year-old son is asking about why God would allow Adam and Eve to be created if he knows all things and he knew Adam and Eve would sin. Why did God let that happen? That's a big question for a seven-year-old. For any pastor at 9 o'clock at night. Uh, But really these verses answer that question. God was writing a story of grace. And God not only had it in his mind to create Adam and Eve. But God wanted to write a better story. And that was to save Adam and Eve. Knowing he would get more glory through their salvation than even their creation. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, no, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. The word there is poema. Uh, It's where we get our word poem. We are God's poem. God is writing a story with our lives. And just like every story, there's dark chapters and dark verses and bright chapters and bright verses But God is writing this story. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So our salvation from faith doesn't cause us to not want to do good works. No, actually, our salvation by faith inspires us to do good works. And God has prepared in advance. Think about this for a minute. I like to describe our good works like an Easter egg hunt. God has filled our lives full of good opportunities for good works like Easter eggs. And like a child on Easter morning or these big Easter egg hunts that Chick-fil-A does here on our property. That's what our good works are like. God wants us to go exploring our good works. He has them prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise. Those were a lot of big words that the first century church would have easily understood. They knew that they were, they were held at arm's length from the people of God, God's covenant people. They were without hope. We were without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you were once who were far away Here it is again. We keep seeing this emphasis. Have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. Here's another illustration of access. Destroying the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside his flesh, the law with its commandments and regulations. 
His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we're going to see it again, through him... We both have access to the Father by one Spirit. All of that, to boil down to this statement, here's what I want you to know today. Here's today's big idea. The biggest benefit of our salvation is access to God himself. The biggest benefit of our salvation is access to God himself. We see this over and over again throughout the book of Ephesians, and we just looked at 18 verses. But notice over and over again, it talks about being with God, with Christ. There's no more barrier keeping us from God. The biggest benefit of our salvation is access to God himself. The ESV Study Bible says it this, says this under the note of chapter 2, verse 18. To draw near to God and enjoy Him forever in a new creation is both mankind's greatest work and the ultimate accomplishment of Christ's earthly work of redemption. A story from the Civil War will probably help us make sense of this. The story is told of a uh, young soldier who had received some bad news about his mom and his dad, and he had younger siblings. And so at that time, the, the younger soldier could go to the war department. He could actually go to the president himself if he were given access and grant. Maybe he could be granted an excuse. He could be relieved of his duties in the military. And so the story is told he was allowed to come to the White House thinking that he would have easy access to President Lincoln. But once he got into the White House, he quickly realized that he wasn't going to see President Lincoln at all. And so the story's told, he sat down in the hallway and kind of bemoaning his situation. He could, he could go AWOL to take care of his younger siblings who had nobody else to take care of them. Uh, but that wasn't going to turn out well because he knew he would uh, be court-martialed or worse. And so he just sat in the hallway kind of thinking about what to do. And then a little boy walked up to him. And the little boy said, hey, mister, hey, mister, what are you doing? And he said, well, uh, I'm just waiting to see somebody that I thought I can see. And he goes, who did you want to see? And he told him who he wanted to see. And before long, the, the man found himself just spilling his guts. Here's a picture we have of, his little, of this little boy. Spilling his guts to the little boy, telling him all that he wanted to do and what he was. Why in the world am I talking to this little boy? And finally, the little boy had had enough. And he said, mister, come with me. And he took the soldier by the hand and he took off down the hall. And before long, the little boy is going in and out of doorways and going past armed guards. And the young soldier is thinking to himself, how in the world am I going to follow this little boy? But the guards just let him pass because they knew he was with the little boy. And then finally, they came to one particular room and the little boy barged through the door. And guess who he found? His father looked at him, President Abraham Lincoln, and he said, Tad, how can I help you? You see, the little boy had access to the president. 
the, the soldier had access to the president through the son. And you, as a Christian, have access to God through the son. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 is teaching. He didn't deserve it, but the young soldier had access because somebody else already had a relationship. And we didn't deserve access to God, but we received it because Jesus already had a relationship. The biggest benefit of our salvation is access to God himself. Now here's why I'm passionate about this truth. This is why if you forget everything else, I hope you'll remember this truth. I believe that we as Christians have for many, many years emphasized not wrong things. We've emphasized proper things about our salvation. We're thankful that we don't have to go to hell. We'll not spend one day in that horrible place. We're thankful that, that God has forgiven us. We're thankful that Jesus offers to take our shame. All of these things are big deals in our salvation. But here's what concerns me. I'm concerned that we so emphasize what salvation just does for us that we forget what the New Testament teaches is actually the greatest benefit of all, and that is access to God. For instance, sometimes we may emphasize grace. So we say salvation's greatest gift is grace. So I'll ask you or ask yourself, what is grace? You say, well, Pastor, grace is a gift. Exactly, grace is a gift. But we need to ask ourselves, what is the gift? It's important for us to define what the gift actually is. Grace is more than just the gift of forgiveness, the gift of mercy, the gift of eternal life. Grace is God's self-giving. Grace is actually another word for access to God himself. According to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, as you see in your notes, the biggest benefit of salvation is access to God himself. This is what Paul was saying in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 10. He says that God's desire was to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This is what Paul was saying in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, that we have been made alive in Christ. This is what Paul meant in Ephesians 2, 12 through 13, when he said, We who were once separate from Christ have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is what Paul meant in Ephesians 2, 18, that we now have access to the Father by one Spirit. This is what Paul meant in Ephesians 2, 21 and 22, that we who've put our faith in Christ no longer have to enter the temple, but we are now the holy temple of the Lord in which God lives by his Spirit. We have access to God not a million miles away, but we have actually access to God through his Spirit who lives within us. This is why Paul wrote in Ephesians 3.12, Now that we're saved, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. Think about this with me. Why this is theologians believe this is the biggest benefit of our salvation. Think about what happened when Jesus died on the cross. Think about what happened in the temple 
when Jesus died on the cross. Matthew chapter 27, Matthew 27 verse 51 says, At that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. Because of Jesus' death, we could actually go into the presence of God. We had access with God that we never had before, after Adam and Eve had sinned. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, what? Comes to the Father except through me. In context, he's not only talking about heaven, but he's talking about the access that you have to the Father every single day. John 17, 1 through 3, Jesus is great, high priestly prayer. Jesus looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he may give eternal life to all those you have given him. Jesus continues, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ you have sent. If you're taking notes about eternal life, if you want to write the word quality of life, not just quantity of life. We Westerners, when we hear the word eternal life, we think quantity. We measure everything, right? But he's not talking in this passage. It is true that eternal life means forever and ever, a gazillion years. But in context of John 17, eternal life, he's talking about a quality of life. What is that quality of life? It's a life where we have access, unhindered access to God. This is what Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19 is talking about. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us what? Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And then 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 puts a, a little different spin on it, but he's talking about the same thing. He says, Through these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you, we, might participate in the divine nature. That was a Peter's way of describing what it was like to be on a boat with Jesus. This is Peter's way of describing what it was like to eat breakfast with Jesus. He participated in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I want us to know this truth, to remember this truth. I believe it's foundational to everything else we learn in the New Testament, that the biggest benefit of our salvation is access to God himself. We, need to go, we don't have to go far in the Old Testament to see that this is even an emphasis in the Old Testament. Think about what happened to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 after they had sinned. Reading it afresh and anew this weekend just reminded me they were expelled from the garden. 
God put a, a cherub. God put a, uh, God put a supernatural being at the gate of the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned and would not let them re-enter. And if you think about it, the rest of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a story of God giving us access back to himself. This is why God meets with Israel in the tabernacle and later in the temple. It's why Jesus shows up in human history. It's why the Spirit descends on the church at Pentecost. It's why the Spirit comes and permanently indwells believers at the moment of faith. This benefit is known by many different names. It's known by union with God. It's known by intimacy with God. It's known by communion with God. But it all points to the same truth. That the biggest benefit of our salvation is access to God himself. I said at the beginning that there's one thing I want you to know. And then there's one thing I want you to do. Here's what I want to encourage you to do with this truth. Here's what I want this truth to motivate you to do. It's simply this. Spend time talking to God and letting God talk to you. This year, in 2021, spend time daily talking to God and letting God talk to you. Now, maybe at the beginning of this message, you were thinking, man, this is kind of a, one of those ethereal, theological, doctrinal message. What, what relevance does this have for everyday life? Well, to the Apostle Paul, it was life. The truth actually was so relevant that he says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19, you see it in your notes, that Paul said that this truth drove him to continually commune with God, praying that you and me will know him better and that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened to God's truth. According to Ephesians 3.14, this truth drove the apostle Paul to repeatedly Pray to God. You see, there's two ways that I could preach a message on prayer. I could preach a message on prayer and say, you need to pray more. I need to pray more. Well, we'd all feel guilty and we'd leave feeling guilty and then we might try for two or three days and would it really make a difference? Probably not, at least not in my heart. Or I could preach it this way. The biggest benefit of your salvation is that you now have access to God. And if you believe that truth, it's going to motivate you to pray. You'll say, I want to pray. There's never a moment that I don't have access to God. Even when I sin, for some reason, I was talking to somebody about two weeks ago, right before the holidays, and they were talking about how that they were taught in their church that even when they sin, that they lose access to God. And I was able to declare to them, that's an Old Testament teaching. That is not the New Covenant teaching of grace. You have unhindered access to God. And when you mess up, God doesn't want you to say, I need to hide from my father. But grace says, you come to your father and say, Dad, I messed up. I need help. You have unhindered access to God. So we can spend time talking to God and let God talking, talk to us. Ephesians 3, 15 through 19 this truth drove the Apostle Paul to fervently desire to spend time knowing God. 
learning about his love in his word. Think about it with me for a moment. When you love someone, you want to spend time talking to them and having them talk to you. I was thinking this week about life before cell phones. Some of our children have no idea what that life was like. But see, even in college, Sarah and I are old enough that we didn't have cell phones in college. They had them, but you know, you had like the big, big brick phone thing and and only the weird people had those. Sorry, no offense. But we didn't have the, the this, we had, did have a pay phone, though. And, and so there was about a 20-minute window before I, my, class, my classes ended, before I went to work. And, and Sarah was at her college in South Carolina, and I was at my college in North Carolina. There was about a 20-minute window that we tried to, like, reserve the pay phone. Remember pay phones? So, like, I had to call her or she had to call me. And we, like, did, like, boxing out of the pay phone. Right, so that no one could get it because if somebody you know jammed up the line, I couldn't talk to my girl that day. I, I love talking to her, and I think she loved talking to me. And 20 years later, I still love talking to her, and she loves talking to me because when you love somebody, you want to spend time talking to them and letting them spend time talking to you. Here's what I do in my devotions. What I'm trying to do more of in 2021, I'm not saying you have to do this, but I would just want to be a little more transparent about what my devotional life looks like. What I'm trying to do is I have a place at our kitchen table or our our, uh, breakfast table, and I take my Bible, and before I read anything, I try to take just a few minutes of silence. Now, it doesn't always work out if the dogs or if our younger son happens to be up already or whatever, it doesn't always work out, but I try to take a few minutes of silence And just try to prepare and focus my heart on what I'm about to read. It doesn't have to be long. And then I open God's Word, and I read a section of God's Word. But I try not to only read the Bible, but I try to let the Bible read me. And then I just try to be sensitive to what what wells up in my heart, what, what, what conjures up in my heart, what burdens are there. And I try to pray those burdens back to the Lord. I have a prayer list, like you probably have a prayer list. But trying to spend time with a person, not just with a book. Trying to spend time with the living God. Here's an idea that may help you. We want to give you tools to help you this year. I know I mentioned it last weekend, and I want to mention it one more weekend. We have the one-year chronological Bible. There's all sorts of resources on our Facebook page, on our website, on my Facebook page, Instagram, my kids were even making fun of me. I shot a, a video yesterday, like a six-minute video of like how to sign up for this thing, right? I felt like I was doing an info commercial. But you can go there today and you can sign up and read right along with us so that you can know God and that God can speak to you. If you're a traveler or you're a, a young mom and you don't have a lot of time on your hands or a lot of quiet time, what I love about the app is that it can actually read the Bible to you. If you're a student, uh, you'll love the app. Some of us, I'm trying to go through with my Bible. Uh, one thing I want to do is to have a Bible that I can pass down to each of my children and my grandchildren one day that are full of notes. And I realize it's probably been seven or eight years since I've gone through the whole Bible and made notes And so my goal is to finish this Bible and then January 1, 2022, start another one that I can give to the people that I love. Imagine what would happen this year if we spent the entire year letting God speak to us 
and speaking to God back in prayer. You say, Pastor Matt, why would we want to do this again? What's the motivation for this? It goes back to our big idea. The biggest benefit of our salvation is access to God himself. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.